Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. These are the teachings from our Sunday gatherings. We are supported by listeners like you who find value in the mission of discipleship. If you'd like to give financially, check out our website, our Instagram, our Facebook for the giving tab. And thank you for partnering with us and keeping the mission alive. Grace and peace to you. So we are, uh, we're in Lent. Do you guys know that? Anybody? We have any Lenters in here? Um, anybody uh, wanting whatever they gave up? Ready for it? You've been good. I like that. <laughs> Likewise. I think that's the challenge, right? That's the point. If it's too easy, then you probably just pick something to look holy about. Um, just kidding. Um, yeah, so we're letting it up real good, and we're heading towards Easter. We're heading that direction. Um, I forgot to pray over the offering. I'm just looking at the slide right now. just realized that. Um, in the last month or so, I've been pulling out these old prayers. Um, if you Google old prayers, they come up. They exist. <laughs> it's pretty cool. But these are prayers that the church has been doing for a really long time. And, um, and so when we pray over our offering, this is one of the things I want to do real quick, is take this little detour back um, to our announcements. But um, our offering as a church, can often be rote. It can become a routine. It can become something that we feel like we've had to do if you're around the church for a long time. Um, Or if you're new to it, you maybe are like, what's that all about? Why does the church want my money? Um, But it's about serving. It's about partnering. It's about being engaged with what God's doing, what his kingdom is doing here through us, um, through our jobs, through our resources, our homes, um, whatever we have, little or, or great, um, we want to be obedient with that. And so some of these prayers just have different language that sometimes we don't use. Um, and I think it's beautiful. So would anybody want to pr- uh, read this prayer for us as we go into the offering? I'll, I'll get it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Lord, my rock and redeemer, thank you that you are infinitely, consistently, and perfectly wise. You have said that whatever we give is acceptable if we give it eagerly. You have said that we should give accordingly, according to what we have. Help us to bring our offering with an eager heart, not as a comparison with others, but as an act of worship to you. May we find the comfort we desire in you and the strength we need in your name. May your presence be with us every hour of the day. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, so God bless you as you give. The giving box is in the back, the bucket, and I know many of us give online. Um, one of the other announcements that I forgot to give last week is there is a financial update on the church because that's something we've told you we want to keep doing. Um, to be very transparent, there's a pie chart that our treasurer, Tiffany, took some time to create. Um, so that pie chart is in your digital notes. So if you want to go to the digital bulletin, you can pull that up. It's on the front page of the website. You can go to graceandpeacechurch.org, pull it up. Um, We just want to be transparent about that, and we want you guys to know. And when you see it, you'll be like, whoa, we got a deficit. And so I want you guys to know um, that that's not always typical, but it is one of the things that we need to pay attention to um, and that we want to continue to, uh, I guess, resolve and push towards um, as a church. There are months where we do really well, and there's months where we are in the opposite direction that we shouldn't be. 
And so we want to continue to keep that mission alive. And, um, and so that takes a partnership and it takes all of us participating in that and making it happen. Um, and as a church plant, we, we live pretty frugally. So um, be, feel free to check that out. And if you have questions about that, I would love to talk about it. Um, we want to be completely transparent about it and we want to want you guys to know everything about what we do financially as a church. So nothing to hide. Um, so if you got questions, hit me up on the, um, the connect card, which is in there. So, um, now let's detour back. So the Lent teaching that we've been doing, we call them the wilderness because it feels like you're in the wilderness sometimes when you're going through the Lent season and Jesus, which we talked about three weeks ago, I think it was, um, spent 40 days in the wilderness before he was tempted. And that process of being in the wilderness, he was tempted, he was tested, it was a challenging time, right? And so the idea is that we spend 40 days leading up to Easter, which is what we call Lent, um, giving up of certain things in order to recognize our reliance on Jesus and not reliance on coffee for joy, or we don't rely on our money for joy, or we don't rely on food or whatever it is. Um, sometimes it's social media. It's the kind of the mindless scroll that kind of makes us feel better temporarily, and it doesn't really do anything, right? Some of you gave up social media because you're like, you know what? I see that that doesn't do anything for me. I need to rely on Jesus, and you replace it with prayer. You replace it with time with God, and there's something that happens in that 40-day wilderness that that does something, it shapes us, right? And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, it builds character. Um, but that, that whole process, um, I think it requires us to engage into it, to step into it and say, I want to be part of this uh, transformation, this heart transformation that happens. And, and that can sometimes be challenging. So I'm going to read our passage today. This is a passage from the lectionary, and so what happens is the church globally, if you read through a lectionary, some churches do it, some churches don't, um, there's certain passages that everybody reads together, and I kind of like that. I like using, borrowing some of that liturgy from ancient church that's been doing this for a long time um, to say we're all reading the same passage with a lot of other people, and there's other passages too, but this is the one I selected from the reading. Um, there's an Old Testament, New Testament usually uh, one from the epistles, and then a psalm. So um, if you want to look that up, you can look it up. It's, it's available. Um, but today's passage is Romans 5, and it's 1 through 11. Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also, uh, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame; it delivers, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us. This is one to underline, highlight, circle in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, now much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. 
For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation, which is a big word. We're going to unpack all that. Um, But this passage sums up kind of this wilderness journey, the challenge that we have, but then also the freedom that comes from it, okay? So the first thing that we see here is we have peace with God. And I want to unpack that because I think that idea of peace we think of as like, well, someday if I say this prayer, if I get saved, I'm going to die and go to heaven and then I'll have peace. But the Jesus' message is that salvation starts now, that when you begin to engage in this journey with Jesus, that eternity starts now and you begin to experience this peace now. And I don't know if you guys have recognized that when you begin to do a Lent journey, when you give something up, it becomes challenging, doesn't it? The challenge exists. Um, Maybe you notice this or not, but there's a battle that goes on in our lives constantly. Right? We all know that. Even if you're not a believer, you know that there's a battle that goes on during the week, sometimes even just to wake up. This morning was tough. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. When it hit 630, I was like, it's still dark outside. My alarm normally goes off when it's light, you know, and oh, I was so behind the curve, was not feeling it. I'm still pretty drained. Um, but there is a battle that goes on, and it will be small things, or it could be really big things. It could be physical challenges that we deal with during the week. It could be relational challenges that we deal with, right? The battle will rage on. We will see it. Just work a job, right? <laughs> and work a job with other people where you have to interact with them. Uh, that battle will exist. There will be a challenge. Or try parenting, right? That will be a challenge. There will be a battle. And I think we undermine what Satan wants to do. And you can call it evil. You can call it um, the devil, whatever you want to say. But he's out to find ways to rob you, Jesus talks about, of that joy to rob you of that life, that peace that Jesus talks about over and over. And so when we talk about this peace where he says, you're going to have peace, you might be sitting here going, I don't know what he's talking about. I've been a believer for a while, and sometimes I don't really have peace. I don't experience that peace. I'm with you. I've been there. I know what that's like um, to not feel that peace. But I want to help you and help us hopefully be reminded of where we find that peace and how we find that peace Um, So I want to take a little moment to talk about that. When we talk about peace, again, like I mentioned, sometimes we talk about salvation, and the church, I think, has done a poor job of talking about peace being just something where you say a prayer at an altar in your seat, and you welcome Jesus into your life, and then there's peace, right? That sounds very simplistic. Like, that's not the full gospel. And so I want to talk about the whole thing. At Easter, we're going to talk about substitutionary atonement, the big word of like, you're saved, right? We're going to talk about that at Easter, the resurrection, why Jesus died, the whole point of that. So I'm not going to hit that on this sermon. But I want to talk about how does that like, how does that peace become something that's real in us now? Um, Because I believe that Jesus is a holistic engagement, that the salvation that we have is holistic, that it's not meant to be after we die someday, that it's meant to be here and now and it's available. And so um, this idea of Jesus bringing peace, 
I think is sometimes one of the things that we undermine. And we think that like Jesus is like just all about salvation, getting to heaven when you die. But it's so much more than that. And as I look through scriptures, and one of the things I was reminded of this week was how often people were amazed by Jesus' teaching. Not just his like understanding of what happens after you die, but his teaching about how to live life. Because the response that you see over and over, and I'll throw some of these verses up there, is this like awe and wonder of what Jesus said. So he, like, check it out, Matthew 7. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. So the crowds had never heard this kind of teaching before. They were like, this makes sense, right? And this isn't just the Pharisees and the leaders and the religious people that were highly educated in Torah. It was like, these were people that were going, I hear what you're saying, this all lines up, right? Luke 4, they were astonished at his teaching because his message had authority. That when he spoke, there was a, it had meaning, it had substance to it. It had authority that seemed like this is something of God. This isn't something that's just made up. This isn't like some kind of like prankster that's coming in to try and like lead us down some weird cultish road. It was like, this has, this has a good ring to it, right? And we all know when we've heard something that's shady versus something that's real, right? You can tell. Um, some people fall for the shady, but it's okay. It's a process. Um, when the Pharisees heard the crowd whispering these things about Jesus... They and the chief priests sent officers to arrest him. So what does this tell us about the religious leaders of that time? When Jesus is teaching, everybody starts going, wow, this is way better than what we've heard before. This makes sense. This is real. This is life-giving. This is like brings peace and it does something to my soul that, oh, so good. And naturally, the priests, the leaders, what do they do? They feel, they feel a little threatened by that, right? Because the message that they were giving was contrary. And so what that tells me is that what Jesus taught transformed life. That what Jesus was doing was actually good. And I don't want to like teeter into like Jesus was a good teacher because that's a common thing that people get into as well. Like, yeah, he's a good teacher. He's like had good things to say. But these are like not just good things. These are life transforming things that ripple into eternity, that start now, the life that we have day-to-day with our jobs and our families, and go into eternity. And I think that takes a bit of a mind shift. And so when he talks about peace, when Paul talks about this in Romans, he's talking about this true peace that begins to transform life, and how we achieve that requires this next thing that he hits on, character. Because if Jesus just spoke about stuff and rattled on and on about it, and then he lived a completely different life, people wouldn't have believed it. Had he not died on the cross, had he not exemplified what it looked like to be a servant leader, right? He's washing his disciples' feet. He's doing things that people just were like, wow, that's, that's so countercultural, but it's so good. It makes sense. That the character that Jesus lived out was what's convincing. The character is what produces peace. The character in us, the transformation that Jesus wants to do, brings peace. Sure, there might be an initial like salvation moment of like, I am so thankful and my heart like feels set free as a result of salvation, but the world will creep back in real quick, right? 
And as you start to journey, like Satan will continue to like bring in this battle on a, on a regular basis. So there has to be something more. And there's something more that Jesus teaches. It's not just a, a life after death. And so this character that he says produces hope. And Paul would have understood this, that like what Jesus taught transformed who you are, your thinking, your way of life, that produced hope, that produced peace, that produced a way of living that is so good, that does not disappoint, which he says in verse four, he says, character produces hope and hope does not disappoint. That there will be a satisfaction about your relationship with God that is so good. How does this look? I'm going to show you guys a Dallas Willard video because he sums it up in two minutes. That would take me like 30 minutes. But he says it brilliantly. And I want you to hear this. It's an old video. It's kind of cheesy. I made it black and white to kind of hipsterize it, okay? But <laughs> check it out and see what he says about character and how this begins to shape who we are. Because he'll talk about Peter. So check this out. Yes, Janice. Oh, would you talk about character one more time? Character. About character? Character, yes. Well, character is what you do without having to think about it. It comes from who you are, your identity as a person, and not from your decisions. Though decisions are involved in it, you don't have to decide about character. Character is there, ready to go, and uh, that's what we learn from our Bible stories and from life. See, Peter had good intentions, he just didn't have character. And so when the event came, he made the wrong decision, because Peter as a whole was headed in the wrong direction. All of them said, we will not run. But they did. It was in their legs. <laughs> and their legs took off and took everything else with them. That's character. It's very important to understand that. Because basically character is a matter of coming to the place to where you're running without thinking. Now actually everyone is like that. So when we come to deal with that issue, we're having to deal with change of character. Because we learn to do all the things that were wrong, and they're sitting in our body, ready to go without thinking. That's character. If you had a mic, you'd drop it, right? Like, it's what's in you, right? And it, he talks about it. It's like, what was in Peter caused him to then run. I think what's in us, when we face a challenge, will either allow us to respond with peace or in a chaotic situation, we will run or we'll melt down or we'll whatever. It's, it's what's in us that will shape how we react. And what's in us has to be formed in a certain way. That's, again, why we're doing Lent. These things shape us. We rely, we learn to rely on God in every situation. I mentioned, I think it was two weeks ago, because Chris spoke last week, that um, this devotional we're doing, it says that 
we give everyone and everything to God. And that reminds us that in every situation, every person, we give them to God because we recognize that God wants to work in that and how I treat them is important and it's valuable. How we create that character in us, how we get to that point to where we appreciate people and we appreciate everything that's going on around us in every situation, it requires a shaping of our character. And so how that happens is interesting to me. Um, how we become successful at life intrigues me. Do we have any basketball fans in here? We only have one or two. Oh, yay, yay. Raise your hand if you know who, well, it's, you guys are supposed to help me on this one, but it's okay. <laughs> Raise your hand if you know who Michael Jordan is. Okay, so now we got, we got, basketball, we got basketball fans. Look at that, real quick. Who did he play for? Bulls, okay. <laughs> we don't want to talk about that. What about his golf game? <laughs> That's right. Um, and then who knows who Steph Curry is? Raise your hand. Okay, so the, I picked the two, the two legends. Uh, I heard in a podcast a conversation about these two people and how they became successful, okay? This is what intrigues me. I guess Michael Jordan, and maybe some of you guys can correct me on this one. I did some research, tried to like make sure it's correct, but he has an older brother named Larry, right? Apparently his older brother, like you guys are gonna learn something now, cool. Um, so Larry and him would play basketball growing up. He grew up in a very supportive household. Parents worked really hard to provide for him and his brothers. And, but him and Larry would play basketball, and they would play to the point of literally fighting each other. So if one lost, they'd fight each other afterwards. Like, if they go to full, like, punch, kind of like fight afterwards, I'll read a quote. It says, um, when you come to blows with someone you absolutely love, that's igniting every fire within you. And I always felt I was fighting Larry for my father's attention. Him and his brother would compete so much, they would literally fight each other based on whoever lost or whatever after playing a game um, because they wanted their father's attention. They fought each other that hard. Um, apparently, there's a little docu-series about his life. I haven't watched it yet, but I want to see it, um, about what that challenge looks like. And the, the just the, I think, the turmoil that he faced drove him to succeed, right? And he did really well. I looked up some of the stats, and apparently he's known for the slam dunk because he kind of like coined that, made it cool, and made it amazing. Um, there's six NBA championships, um, six final MVPs that he made. So he's a le serious legend on the court, right? He got there as a result of wanting to fight his way there because he wanted to be better and get approval for his, from his dad. Steph Curry on the flip side, um, he's known for his three-point shots. He's kind of the opposite. He would not go down the center and dunk. He would be like out shooting three-points. So three-pointers, like I think it, to give context, is said in one practice he sunk 77 in a row. Right? Like that's, that's on point. So like he's perfected it. And he comes from a family. Well, let me give you some more. Uh, so he d didn't quite get as many NBA championships. I think it was four. Um, but, uh, but still, all-star, MVP, like, 
amazing player, right? Everything that made him successful was the love and encouragement that came from his dad and the support and the, like, just keep charging kind of attitude uh, that came from his father um, and his faith as well. There's one reporter that's reported saying, um, I've long felt that's one of Steph's secrets to his success. He loves his life, loves his family, loves his hobbies, and his daily existence in his daily existence on earth. He just enjoys it so much. And I think his dad instilled that in him. He talks about that. He has love never fails tattooed on his wrist. You can tell that he's passionate about God and about using his gifts for God. These are two different approaches to success, right? And we could all argue that there's plenty of successful people that don't have faith. But here's what I want to ask. How do you define success, right? So we all define success as like the popularity, the name that Jordan made for himself, shoes, all kinds of stuff, right? Great individual, like I'm not bashing him in any way. But I think the idea of success and how you feel when you get there, because I've watched a recent interview with actually Steph Curry and Jordan, and Jordan is still seeking to try and like find that thing. Like you see, you talk about baseball, He's still doing that in golf. He's still trying to like find it. And you can tell there's just a piece that's in Steph. And I don't want to like try and compare like whole faith and non-believers and all this stuff. But I believe that there's something that's in Steph Curry that I think he's found that brings peace. That brings a sense of peace about his life. And I think it's his faith. Um, I don't think he's passionate about trying to get rich. I don't think he's passionate about just like straight success, but I think he's passionate about serving God. And that's been um, a result of like in his life and how it's played out. So um, I'm going to put a quote on the screen and see if anybody knows what it is. But I think it, it ties in with this well. Possessions make you rich, question mark. I don't have that type of richness. My richness is life forever. Anybody know it? You might not think it would come up in church, but come on, someone say it. <laughs> Bob Marley? You guys have heard this? You've seen people on Instagram, they'll like use that quote, and they'll go, possessions make you rich. <laughs> and it's like a, there's like an interview, and he's like, I don't have that type of richness, <laughs> right? My richness is life forever, right? That's a horrible imitation, but... <laughs> If you start to watch for that, like you'll see it, it's all over the place. People use that soundbite over and over. Um, but our idea of success, I think, has to be reshaped. Our idea of success, really, for most people, it is more possessions, more money, more stuff, right? More fame. And I use these two guys, Jordan and Curry, to be kind of an example of what that looks like to chase after it and chase after it with different motives. And I believe that character that's shaped in us that is motivated by wanting to love others, there will be a sense of success that happens there. You may not be the best three-pointer, but you will succeed in what it means to have peace. And I think that there's something in that. Um, what you see in Jesus is a deep, deep, deep commitment to heart restoration. Jesus talks about 
transforming, reforming your heart in a way that recognizes that God is center of all of it. Um, it's easy to say that, you know, like we just follow Jesus and it's just a prayer and it's just a, it's a relationship that doesn't require any kind of works. But Jesus repeatedly, when people came to him, there's even moments where a really faithful, devoted, Torah-following believer comes to Jesus and says, what else do I need to do? I've done everything. I'm loving people. I'm loving my neighbor. I'm doing all these things. And then Jesus says, okay, well, then sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and follow me. That's a task. That was doing something. It took a, there's some kind of renovation that had to happen by selling all of his possessions and giving it to the poor to follow him. There has to be a restoration that happens. And I think what happens is there's a character shape that happens. There's a way that we begin to think as a result of our relationship to Jesus that then brings peace, that really transforms us, that really begins to show us that the burden is light. This book, The Burden is Light, it's by John Tyson. It piggybacks beautifully this little chapter I'm going to read to you guys as I close out. Um, talks about Peter's life and the restoration and the transformation that took place. Dallas Willard hit on that, right? That Peter, because of the character that he really had, fled in the moment of, of honest, like true, like where the rubber meets the road kind of stuff, right? He said verbally, Peter said over and over, like, I love you, Jesus. We're going to commit to you. I'm with you all the way till the end. Didn't work out, did it? Because in his mind, he thought that, but it, his character didn't reflect it. It wasn't actually truly woven into who he was. So check this out. Let's see if I can mic it and read at the same time. I think Tyson does a beautiful job of articulating this. At that moment, the truth broke through to Peter. Jesus' gentle restoration began to shape and redirect his heart. Right? That moment of like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I dropped the ball in that moment. Re it shaped and redirected his heart. Following Peter's story through the rest of Scripture, you'll see these remarkable change. Peter's spirit melted from that of a harsh and driven leader into the soul of a gracious and loving shepherd. His comparison faded into compassion. Right? That's a good one. His comparison game of like, I need to be something. This isn't working out. To compassion as it began to shift his attention away from his own performance and onto the lives of the people under his care. Listen to his tender exhortation in one of his later epistles. Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Peter, free from the curse of, compassion, of comparison, urges those under his care to remove the very things he once wrestled with. He writes, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. The apostle of comparison became the apostle of compassion. Peter's heart, purged of envy and comparison, flowed into love for God's sheep. His heart was transformed because he began to allow his character to be shaped by what God was teaching him that it wasn't just head knowledge anymore, and now it became something that was core to who he was. And I believe that's what we need in order to have this understanding of like salvation, reconciliation, like true transformation starts to happen when we begin to 
truly abide and say, I, want, I just want Jesus to be the center of all that I do, right? And so at the end in verse 11, he says, boast in this, right? And you're like, why would he say like boast in it? He says, boast in this way of saying, be so excited about what God has done in your life that it becomes centered to everything that you do because nothing else really matters anymore. The money, all that kind of stuff, all these things, the envy, the trying to climb the ladder. Um, Katie and I were talking about this week, like in the corporate world, I'm sure many of you have seen that, like how much people will try and push others aside to make themselves look better, right? In order to like puff up their own ego and try and like climb that ladder, step on people to try and get to the top. Maybe you've experienced that in your job. And it doesn't do anything, right? The people around them end up hurt and the people around them like are frustrated with it, but it usually ends up bad for that person. It usually doesn't work out very well. And so this idea of like really just putting God's center and saying, I'm going to be obedient even when it's difficult. Peter learned that. He understood that, but it took time. It took a character development process that had to unfold. And that's just my prayer for us, that we would begin to really engage in that and continue to say, yeah, I'm okay with this process of maybe Lent. Maybe you've given something up and you're experiencing the challenge or the difficulty in that. Embrace it. Just say, yeah, it's, it's tough, but it's good because I know that it's ultimately going to shape me for something good. I'm going to close with one last story. Just like super, like, um, I think timely because yesterday I was helping Jason. We were at the coffee cart. He had his kids in the trailer. We have his, he has this amazing little coffee trailer. And he's like, oh, this is awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we set up a farmer's market and um, I had my two girls in there. And so we're in there like serving up drinks and people are ordering stuff. And it was just straight chaos. Like his kids were melting down. My kids were fighting over like who gets to make the lattes and who doesn't. Because we're like, we're trying to incorporate them in what's happening and teach them, right, as parents. And had this moment of like, so one of his sons is out on the back, like banging on the back of things like, dad, I need something, you know. And like kindly, again, they were fighting and they were doing their thing. And I was just like, peace, right? It's like the most chaotic thing ever. And I was like, why are we doing this? And I was like, oh, because we're trying to like shape our kids in a way to where they learn, right? And learn to have like this ability to engage in certain things. And so, yeah, oh yeah. Totally. He's, he's holding a baby. So like it was, it was wild. Just imagine that chaos, you know? And, and I share that because I think as parents, like going back to the very beginning, Satan will come up and try and rob of us peace. Like rob our peace. At work, you will be robbed of peace at times because somebody will do something. And if we constantly blame our external circumstances for our not having peace, you're never going to get it never going to get it, right? And as parents, there will be challenging times, but those are meant to shape us to go, you've been put in this place to shape these children in a beautiful way so that they learn what it looks like to have peace, right? And so it, it takes some talking, right? I have to talk with my girls and teach them. I'm glad they're not in the room to hear this, but um, to teach them how to interact, that they can't be fighting in front of each other, in front of customers. That doesn't look good. Um, and when I say something, like, it, that's, I'm not going to repeat five times, you know, like these things. But that's all part of the process of building character. And if we just ignore it and say it doesn't matter, we're just going to do what we want, we end up in a chaotic world. And what Jesus brings, the teaching that he brings, the way that he teaches us to live, 
teaches us to have an understanding of who we are, our identity, that we can be at peace regardless of what's going on around us. And then we can also be peacemakers that begin to engage in the world that we live in in ways that is redemptive, that brings that reconciliation that he talks about at the end into the world that we live. Because then people will see it and they'll go, you know what, Jesus' teaching, yeah, 2,000 years ago they were amazed and they're still amazed because you live that way. You live with peace. You live in this way that that is good. I can't say that I had full peace yesterday morning. (laughs) Jason and I talked about it. But I'm learning and I hope someday I can have that kind of peace that really talk to me like, I don't know, when my girls were a little younger, maybe five or six years ago, I would have probably melted down just like, done, over it, we're out of here. This isn't working. <laughs> but it's, it's shaping me. It's shaping us, right? And so I would say, don't give up. Keep journeying. Like you might be in that place where you're like, oh, I'm frustrated and this whole thing. Continue to engage in that character building process that Jesus invites us into that brings new life and life to the full that he talks about. Um, but it's not hard. It's not easy. It's going to be a little hard at times, but it will get easier as you begin to be part of it. Steph Curry sinks three, three throws, free throws, um, effortlessly because of that work that he put into it, right? As believers, we have to put that work into our faith and engaging with what Jesus teaches us in order for it to bear fruit. And he says it will bear fruit because you're connected to the vine and he will work through you and do beautiful things. So let me pray. Father, um, We are grateful for your word that shapes us from the inside out. Uh, We know that it doesn't happen via osmosis, or else you just throw this Bible on the top of my head and it would just take place. It doesn't work that way, Lord. Um, But Lord, we just, um, we thank you for the process, even when it's difficult and challenging. Um, But help us to not give up. Help us to stay faithful in the times where it's difficult, because we know that ultimately it's not just good for us, but it's good for the world that we live in, good for those that are around us that they experience love and life to the full, eternal life. Um, So work through us as we go into this week, um, as we get into our cars and go into the rest of this day, Lord, I pray that um, you would work through us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.